You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Well, today, the title of the message is A Battle for Righteousness. We're going to look at Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 25. As I've said before, we could do a whole year in Romans and still not cover everything. But I chose to do it in 20 messages. We're on the 11th one of this series in Romans chapter 7. Father, I just pray that you would make this message real to our hearts today. Lord, I pray that you will clear up some confusion for some. And Lord, and just uh, give revelation to others. Let your Holy Spirit do what needs to be done in each of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This entire chapter 7 of Romans is exploring the Christian's relationship to the law. To practicing Jews, especially keeping the law, was the center of their faith. Paul was educated as a strict Pharisee. His whole life was about keeping the law. So he understood the people that he was writing to. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 to 6, Paul explains his life as a Pharisee. He said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blood citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. But then something happened. One day while Paul was on the road, or his name was Saul then, While Saul was on the road to Damascus, going down to Damascus to uh, persecute the Christians down there and to try to whip them back into line into the Jewish faith, he had a change. He met Jesus on that road. There was a light that came from heaven It knocked him off his horse, he fell to the ground, was blinded, and heard a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. From that moment, he became Transformed. He became a new creature in Christ Jesus. He had the same experience that many of us here today had when we asked Jesus Christ 
to come into our heart. He changed his self-righteousness for the righteousness of Christ. And so, the first thing Paul wants to make clear is that we are not bound by the law of Moses. This is coming from a man who held to the law very strictly. And he's saying we are not bound by the law of Moses. And so in verse 1 to 6 of Romans chapter 7, he says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, so we get to see who he's talking to here. He's talking to Jewish Christians, those who are familiar with the law. He says, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as she's alive. But if he dies, the law of marriage no longer applies to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evils, these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now, we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of observing the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. And that reminds us of the awesome grace of God the amazing grace that saved a wretch like you and me. The first six verses gives a metaphor for the marriage relationship under the law to illustrate that we have been released from the law in the same way that a woman is released from marriage when her husband dies under the law. The law which reveals the knowledge of right and wrong is good. But it doesn't have the power to keep us from sinning. The law which reveals the knowledge of right and wrong is good. Even willpower is inadequate to keep us from sinning. The law points to sin, it helps us to know every time we do wrong. It pricks our conscience and we know that we've done wrong. But the problem lies <clears throat> with our human nature. 
This problem is overcome when we live in the spirit, Paul tells us. But even Christians today revert to snippets of the law. We don't follow the law like the, like the Jewish religion did. But most of us were brought up in churches that preached more from the Old Testament than from the New Testament. And so we were entrenched in the law. And even now that we have been saved, born again, and set free, still there are times when we become very legalistic in our thinking. And we revert to the law. And we feel condemnation in our hearts. But as we will find in, in chapter Eight of Romans, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Paul will enlarge on the life of the Spirit in greater detail in Romans 8. But I believe that we should always read Romans 7 in light of Romans 8. And if you picked up the book of Romans and you just begin to read at verse 7, you would miss a whole lot of what Paul was saying in the, in the first six chapters that relates to this and shows you what Paul is really saying. Secondly, God's law reveals our sin. The law... The law reveals sin and rebellion against God's commands and his holiness. This was the heart of people from Adam long before the law of Moses. The law was a spotlight to reveal sin. Paul said, I would not have known that anything was sin if I did not know what the law said. But knowing something is sinful doesn't solve the problem. So let's read verse 7 to 13. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetousness, covetous desires within me. If there was no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life. And I died. So I discovered that the law's command, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. 
It used the commands to kill me. But still the law itself is holy. And its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own purposes. Just so we understand, Paul reiterates what he has been saying all along. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy, right, and good. Somehow, knowing something is wrong seems to make us want to do it more. That's human nature. You put up a set of rules, and you just feel that you've got to break them. You post 60 miles an hour, 60 kilometers an hour. You just feel that you've got to do at least 70. If it's 100, you've got to do 110. I mean, that's being, you know, mild and gentle, okay? Realist. <laughs> but it seems that we want what we cannot have. The problem is not in the law. The problem is in us. It's what the Bible calls the sinful nature or the old man. Now, ladies, that's not your husband. It's talking about the inner person, okay, the sinful nature. Paul has already cautioned us to consider the old man dead. We consider that old life, that old lifestyle is dead and we're living a new life in Jesus Christ. But all too often we allow that old man to resurrect. And when he does, we're sure to do something wrong. It's guaranteed you're going to have to get on your knees before God and say, Lord, I did it again. I messed up. And if you'll call it what you should, I sinned. It's that old sin nature, the old man, the one we should reckon to be dead, has raised his ugly head again. And Paul clarifies this point also in Romans 8. I'm going to be preaching on that next week, but Romans 8, 3 says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice. For our sin. Aren't you glad for Jesus? 
Aren't you glad that he was willing to go to the cross? When he made it very clear during the crucifixion, he said, don't you know that I could call legions of angels, ten legions of angels, and they could come and set me free? I don't have to do this. But he did it out of love. The law shows us our sinfulness. But Jesus Christ took, cleansed us from our sins and gave us his righteousness. And so we don't stand in self-righteousness today. We don't boast how good we were last week or last month or last year or for the last 10 years. We boast in Jesus Christ that he saves and he keeps and he satisfies. That every time I fall flat on my face, he raises me up again. Every time I say, Lord, help me, he comes to my rescue. Thirdly, struggling with sin. The sin nature versus the spiritual, the born again, the new creation. There's always a war, the Bible says, going on. No clinics around. You know, old men got to wipe their nose every now and then. That's just the way it is. You kids don't understand it, but it'll happen to you too. <laughs> Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25. Let's read it. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it, or the sinful nature. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inev inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with my, all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Verse 25, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sin nature, I'm a slave to sin. Now, this is one of the most famous texts in the book of Romans and one of the most controversial. And I just want you to know, if you're from another church and your pastor preaches something different than I do, he got just as much a chance of being right as I am. Okay? But this is the way that I see it, and this is the way that I believe, and so this is the way I'm going to preach it. Amen? The question debated in colleges of theological training for years is this, and we did it in Northwest when I was in Bible college. Is, Paul the, is this Paul the sinner or Paul the Christian speaking? He says in verse 19, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Some say is the plight of an unbeliever. Others say that is a new Christian who is immature in the faith. Let's take a closer look. At first glance, as you read this, who is writing? Paul. Who is speaking? Paul. Is there any hint that the I mentioned here is anyone but Paul? No. I think that most of us would agree that we have had experiences like this. We're born again Christians. I've been born again for way over 50 years, and I've had a lot of experiences that Paul is talking about. If that wasn't the case, I couldn't be your pastor. If this is talking about someone who is a sinner, who has never bowed their knee before God, I couldn't be your pastor. I think most of us would agree that we've had experiences like this. Some would say that they believe that much more victory over sin is possible than what we are experiencing right now. And I would say, yes, that's true. We are faced with choices every day. We choose who we serve. We choose to let the old man rise up. When somebody says something derogatory to me, I have a choice to let it go or to send back to them as good or hopefully better than they gave me. <laughs> Isn't that right? We've got that choice. We, we make that choice. Maybe Paul is both telling his own story and universalizing it. saying that 
what he has been facing, we face also. Everybody in the Christian faith faces this. And I think if you were to say to me today, I've never faced anything like that, I would have to say, I think you need to get alone with God and talk to him about that. So is Paul speaking as a Pharisee before his conversion or after his conversion? This is what some of the church fathers said. The Greek fathers said this of the faith concerning what that here, that here Paul was impersonating an unregenerated person. Because Paul, as a mature and regenerated believer, could not describe himself as a slave to sin. But then St. Augustine decided that Paul is writing as a truly regenerated and even mature believer. He sees several characteristics. Number one, Paul sees himself as unspiritual. Verse 14b, he says, nothing good lives in him. And Augustine says, only believers think and speak of themselves in self-disgust and self-despair. Have you ever been angry at yourself for messing up? Have you ever said, oh, I wish I could take that back. I wish I could not have said that. Of course you have. He's, he, he loves the law. And this is not a language of an unregenerated person. There's no unregenerated person loves the law. There's no unbeliever loves the law. Finally, he longs for final deliverance. So you can see the controversy over Romans among church leaders down through the ages. And this controversy still goes on. And people who believe the other way feel just as strongly as I do. But within the Christian family, we need to learn to love and respect each other's views. There are some things that are very, very necessary. That unless you believe it, you cannot go to heaven. You cannot be a part of the family of God. But there are other things that God will make it plain in eternity. You choose to believe a certain way. And you stand upon that and that the Holy Spirit gives you light into that at some point in your life. You say, well, I used to believe this for 20 years, but now I believe this way. That's okay too. Amen? I agree with one commentator who suggests that the wretched man of verse 24 is typical of many Jewish Christians of Paul's day. They were born again, but hadn't really learned to walk in the power of the Spirit. So as a result, 
they ended up terribly frustrated. I believe that these verses describe many Christians who haven't learned to walk or live in the Spirit, who have stopped doing so. This is what happens when we resort to living in the flesh in our sinful nature. Romans 7 should not be seen as the normal Christian life. Let me say that again. Romans 7 should not be seen as the normal Christian life. It's common, but it's not to be considered normal. We all have moments of weakness and act out in the flesh. Paul wasn't saying by any means that this was everyday occurrence for him. But he was suggesting that there are times in our life when we fail, but thank God we don't stay there. Just because I messed up, just because I sinned today, doesn't mean that I keep on sinning. I ask God to forgive me and I get back on right track with him. The frustration with the flesh, our old sinful nature in Romans 7, is not complete without the victory and the powerful Holy Spirit spoken of in the next message. Romans 8. Trying to live the Christian life in our own strength is being empowered by the flesh instead of the spirit. In Galatians 5, 16, this is what Paul says. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guard your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. He's talking to Christians. He says, let the Holy Spirit guard your life. Then you won't be doing what the sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your own intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law. We are not under the obligation of the law. We're living in the day of grace, God's amazing grace. Don't get hung up on whether or not Paul is speaking of himself here. But by all means, get the message. We are all in a battle for righteousness. The devil is waiting and watching for one chance to take us down. The winning strategy is to be led by the Spirit. In conclusion today, 
God himself through his son, Jesus Christ, has provided a righteousness for us that is not our own. It has been imputed to us or reckoned to us through faith, not by works. A person who comes in here that never ever heard about Jesus before can hear the message today and say, yes, I want that. I believe that. And they can ask Jesus Christ to be their Savior, and they're on the same standing as any of us in this room is. It's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ that have been applied to us when we accept him as our personal Savior. Philippians 3, 9, he says, I no longer count on my own righteousness. He was a Pharisee, and they were very particular about their self-righteousness. He said, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through the faith in Christ, through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on, on faith. Only believe. Only believe. Paul has demonstrated the law is holy, but not powerful enough to change us. The problem is our own inherent sinful rich weakness. We are no longer forced to obey the law as, the, as slaves are forced to obey the master. We are free to serve the Lord. Free to serve the Lord. We serve because we want to. I'm a Christian because I want to be a Christian. We love him because he first loved us. And it was his love that drew us to himself. The Christian life is not a defeated, miserable existence, leaving us unable to rise above the depression and oppression of the devil. God intends that we live in victory, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We know the answer to the question that Paul asked, who will deliver me? The answer is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. He's our mighty deliverer. So keep your eyes on him. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you today for your wonderful word. Your word is truth. And we stand upon that truth. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will just make a message, Lord, that sometimes can be very confusing. Give revelation by your Holy Spirit. Lord, may not one person walk out of this place today confused about Romans chapter 7. I ask that in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Lord, bless you. Have a great week in Jesus. Enjoy the nice summer uh, afternoon. If you have any need,
You want prayer for healing? You want prayer for salvation? You want prayer for a loved one? You want prayer for finances? Come up. We'll pray with you. Lord bless you. And have a great day. Amen. You have been listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.